All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Houndstein Center's podcast series, Off the Stage. My name is Maddie Miller, and I'm the media specialist for the Houndstein Center. Today on the podcast, we have two co-authors of the book, The People's Constitution, 200 Years, 27 Amendments, and the Promise of a More Perfect Union. John and Wilfred, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having us, Maddie. Yeah, I'm excited to um, first start off our episode how we start off every episode, which is with a few questions from our BOQ, which stands for Bowl of Questions. Um, So for those listening, these are questions that were submitted via social media, and then both of our guests are going to pick one of them, and then you both can answer the same question. So whoever wants to go first, you can reach in there. There you go, John. I'll do it. (laughs) There's quite a few questions in here. Yeah, there are. Shall I read it? Yes. If you could become instantly really good at something, what would you choose? It's mm, a good one. I would choose skiing. Skiing, okay. Uh, because I'm, um, you know, as I get older, I find I like cold weather more and more. And okay. I, I'm, I'm in, in New York City, winter is you know getting less and less due to climate change, and so I go to places that are cold just to experience it. And yeah. I, lo- I love winter sports like skating and snowshoeing but I yeah I and while I did ski a little bit as a child I I was a kid I just Mm -hmm. feel a little nervous to try so if I could be instantly good at it and hit the black diamond slope yeah change my life that'd be awesome that's so fun I might be really good at playing the saxophone okay either the alto or the tenor sax yeah nothing bigger not the baritone do you Uh, play any musical instruments now so i did i played trombone and the story behind this is that when i was growing up i didn't have enough money to have an instrument so i got the school's instrument and it basically was like whatever was left really went a saxophone and last instrument was trombone and over Uh the years i got pretty good at it but i always wanted to play my parents were in the jazz and i kind of grew up with that it's just a beautiful sound it is it is i didn't know you play the trombone that's cool that is awesome okay well that is great yeah um let's have um yeah another question from our infamous boq (laughs) (laughs) what's a book you think everyone should read not your own (laughs) we a lot of our speakers write books so we had to include that in there (laughs) because everyone should read your book we already know that (laughs) yes yes so i won't include that one um i would say i love fiction but Mm -hmm. but i'm gonna um stay away from fiction okay Um, okay i would probably say that the autobiography of frederick Douglass. Okay. Um, it's just it's just a masterpiece, mm-hmm. and then you have to put it in context, right? You you have this man who was enslaved, not formally mm-hmm. educated, and became one of the world's best orators, most yeah. sought after speakers, great abolitionists, mm-hmm. uh, and the way that we think about it in this context, uh, one of the forgotten founders of the Constitution, because he helped yeah. sort of think about how we frame the Reconstruction era. Okay, that is great. Love it. So just the biography of Frederick Douglass. It's an autobiography. So it's it. Right. I love that. Um, That's a really tough question. So, you know, I'm going to say, and it's a a kind of a narrow interest book, but there's a book called The Power Broker by Robert Cairo. Okay. Which, uh, you know, to me, it's a story of Robert Moses, who is, you know, Mm -hmm. forgotten to many, but he was just a powerful bureaucrat in New York. But it's really the story of the the 20th century changing of a city with incredible Mm -hmm. themes of, 
how cities modernized, what their consequences were for poor people and people yeah. of color, uh, but just written in this incredibly um, vivid style. And the thing about the book is, I mean, if you live in New York, as we do, I mean, mm -hmm. like you don't really know New York until you read this book. Okay. That's so for, for any of you visiting New York, I recommend it. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, thank you both for answering questions from our BOQ. Um, now we're going to transition into some questions that I came up with just um, for fun. So first, can you guys both explain just a little bit about your current jobs, um, what you do besides writing books, which we've already talked about? Sure. So this is Wilfred. I am an assistant professor of law at Brooklyn Law School, where I teach constitutional law, election mm -hmm. law, and constitutional theory. Uh, I am also a non-resident fellow at the Brennan Center, where John is my colleague. Uh, and I do work related to the Constitution and democracy there, sort of more in an advocacy think tank role to kind okay. of get those ideas out. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. And I work uh, as the Vice President for Program Initiatives at the Brennan Center for mm -hmm. Justice. And we are a, uh, a hybrid organization. So we're connected to NYU School of Law, but okay. we operate as a think tank, mm -hmm. as a legal advocacy group, and as a communications hub, working to strengthen and improve the systems of democracy and justice in the United States. So I'm you know, an executive leader in the organization, mm -hmm. so my day job is mostly making the trains run on time, managing yeah. uh, people, managing processes, but I also um, Make, I focus a lot on strengthening the intellectual footprint of the Brennan Center, okay. and I've done that by building out a fellows program, yeah. I'm building up our research capacity, and I contribute to the intellectual life of the Brennan Center, most notably through this, the book that Wilfred and I wrote. Yeah. But I really um, have tried in this later phase of my career, I, I'm 62, mm -hmm. uh, in this later phase of my career to draw on the lessons of a long career working mm -hmm. in different organizations in the nonprofit advocacy space, and to tell important stories or put, put issues on the map that need to be there. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so you guys, you kind of mentioned it, but I wanted to know kind of how you guys met, how you know each other, which you've already mentioned, the Brennan Center, and then kind of how you guys began that conversation of like, whoa, should we write a book together or something like that? Well, I'll say, because I, I, we met across an interview table. Wilfred was applying for a job at the Brennan Center. Awesome. And uh, it was for uh, a different job, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, we um, had a conversation, you know, and I was immediately impressed uh, with Wilfred. And, uh, and as that hiring process dragged on, and sometimes mm -hmm. they do at, at the Brennan Center, um, I was beginning to think that it would be like about writing a book. And so I mm -hmm. asked Wilfred if he would meet me for coffee. And uh, because I knew enough about Wilfred, you know, he had a, um, you know, I'm saying this as a compliment, but it's just a geeky interest in, in the law and <laughs> politics. And also, though, that I just felt that you, that you would be excited. And so I just said, like, I'm thinking about this. I don't know where it's going, but I don't, I don't want to write a book by myself. I want mm -hmm. a, a partner. I want it to be a real partnership. Yeah. And so, you know, we, we basically hired Wilfred into a prestigious fellowship at the Brennan Center, and mm -hmm. he, he and I hit the ground running working on this book. I'm, well, hit the ground running is probably an exaggeration because there was a lot of wheel spinning in the beginning, but <laughs> yeah. it, it, eventually we really got into serious book writing mode. I want to make one correction. It was not a coffee. It was a Manhattan. Uh, <laughs> and I wasn't aware that this was a formal interview. As John said, I had interviewed for a different position at yeah. first, and we kind of just talked. Um, that probably was but, sneaky of me to, yeah. Yeah, to not tell him I was <laughs> It became clear that we had very, um, yeah. uh, our interests were aligning, uh, uh -huh. especially around the Electoral College and sort okay. of other things that yeah. kind of got us stuck. And then the project sort of just, you know, it, it 
moved and developed and kind of became something different a little bit and changed over the course of four years. So well, it, it, it was. You know, I mean, we had an so idea. You, know, you have an idea of what you're going to do, but neither yeah. one of us ever wrote a book. And so, mm -hmm. you know, the truth is you make a lot of mistakes or you, yeah. you go down wrong paths and have to come back. And yeah. eventually you get this momentum. And mm -hmm. But it came together over time and the book became much stronger through, I think, our constant dialogue and, you know, yeah. pushing and pulling at times. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. Thanks for answering that. Um, so my next question um, is about New York. So you guys both mentioned that you're from New York. Um, I've only been there once, but I want to go back again because I've heard that it's just an awesome place. I actually have a few friends who live there. So if I was going to New York, what would you guys say is a must-see place or thing to do and then a must-eat-at restaurant? There's so many must-see places to mm -hmm. go and, and you know I live in I live in Greenwich Village in New York which is such a wonderful neighborhood connected with NYU but I'm gonna be um, you know uh, gonna counter my instincts as a Manhattan person and say I would send you to Brooklyn I would send okay. you I would send you to the neighborhood of <laughs> Williamsburg and Greenpo Greenpoint and, okay because I just think for younger people it's, it's just mm -hmm. I mean it's a remarkably exciting neighborhood and you know I mean when I was growing up and you know, when I was your age I mean yeah. hardly you know there, it just wasn't like that at all yeah and so and the, it's just such a mecca for people I would say under mm -hmm. 35 or 40 and so mm -hmm. if I were your age I would certainly want to be there all, all the time okay and um, in terms of a restaurant that I recommend. Wow, there's so many. Um, well, let me break okay. up to just okay. tell you yeah. where I would bring you, yeah. then, okay. and then we'll <laughs> figure out the restaurants. Okay. Um, so since John is bringing you to my Brooklyn area, I live in okay. Fort Greene, Brooklyn, okay. and I would tell you some places around there. Okay. I'll bring you back to Manhattan. Okay. I, I okay. used to live on the west side as well, but further up from John, okay. before a big project happened. It's called the High Line. Okay. Um, and so I moved to Brooklyn like right when construction was hitting because it was yeah. a lot. But yeah. it's a really beautiful walk um, okay. down the west side of Manhattan. It's an elevated former train um, um, tracks system. Oh. And then so okay. if you keep walking, you'll see all these interesting things, a massive development project really sort of bougie area, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then you get to this, even further down, you get to this new little installation called Little Island, which oh. is like totally extra. It's like, it's, it's like yeah. these champagne flutes made out of cement. Oh that kind gosh. of like- They're growing out of the water, it's, like, like lilies. And it's the, so bizarre. Oh yeah. it, but it, but it's, it's, it's a sight to be seen, okay. but it's completely extra. Yeah, <laughs> I love that, okay. Oh, yeah. So restaurant, you, you, you yeah. inspire me. Thinking again of the High Line, and this area is so interesting because it okay. was this old elevated train track and now you could walk on it. Yeah. And if you, if you watch Westworld, it's the, the last season of it, the, the futuristic New York is all filmed on the, on this High Line, which is interesting. Okay, that's so but, cool. But I would recommend a restaurant in that area called Cook Shop. Cook Shop. Because okay. it's just the combination of a of a really cool restaurant that isn't too much. You know, it just is a nice lofty space. They have like really good food. There's really interesting looking people there. Okay. And it's not you're not jammed in in tiny tables. So a Cook yeah. Shop on Tenth okay. Avenue. Great. I can vouch for Cook Shop. Uh, oh, I think it's a great place. Awesome. Um, and I'll take you back to Brooklyn now for a restaurant. And I will, against my better judge it, judgment, not recommend a sort of burger place. That okay. Like. Okay. Uh, there's a place called Miss Ada. Uh, Miss it's, Ada. It's right near uh, Fort Greene Park, and it's just. It's just great. It's um, Middle Eastern, Mediterranean Ooh, food, I love but super that. fresh, really mm -hmm. small plates meant to be shared. And okay. it's, it, again, it's, it's right on Fort Green Park, which is mm -hmm. like a charm uh, okay. in, in the neighborhood. I love like a restaurant that has good views. I just feel like that just adds to the experience. Mm -hmm. And, and you could write us for a list of 20 or 30 restaurants. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll get New those. It's very hard to pick one. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll get you. I'll get a list from you guys. Yeah. 
Um, great. Thanks for answering. And so now moving a little bit to more about your guys's um, educational history. So you guys both have more than one degree um, on your educational resume. So tell us a little bit about how when you first decided to attend college, how did you decide what to major in? And then following that for your um, other degree or degrees, um, what factors prompted you to want to pursue those? Yeah. So I'll begin. So I grew up on Staten Island. In a, in a working class neighborhood. So, you know, well, there were people who go to college, like no one in my family had gone to college. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I didn't have a lot of mentoring or ideas of where I would go to college. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but I did have an idea that I was interested in politics and political science. So, okay. uh, so I graduated from high school in 1978. Uh, two years before, my first taste of politics, and one reason I'm excited to be here in Grand Rapids, is that I supported President Gerald Ford. Yeah. And I volunteered for his campaign. That's great. And, and, you know, handed out flyers and did things. And and so I thought politics would be great. So I, I decided, um, just without a lot of mentoring, that Georgetown was one place I might go to, or NYU, which would, was closer to home. And I decided for reasons, you know, my family reasons, to stay closer to home. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but I did, you know, pursue political science, which, uh, you know, was exciting to me and a great mm -hmm. passion. And, and, and I think that it was that political science interest that had people telling me, like, you should go to law school. Mm -hmm. You know, I, it wasn't top of mind for me. I wasn't sure exactly what I would do. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, in fact, I think the same mindset that made me excited about politics made me excited about constitutional law. Yeah. And, th and those two interests uh, sustained me my whole mm -hmm. life. That's awesome. Uh, I'm also a first-generation college student. Uh, I'm from Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is the biggest city in Connecticut, but it's not well-known. But it's uh, it should be known um, because it is, uh, I believe, the first city in the country to go bankrupt. Okay. Um, so grew up very poor in a family. I'm one of five children. Mm -hmm. My family, my parents barely graduated uh, mm -hmm. high school before they started having kids. Um, but so I was, I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to go to an elite uh, private school uh, for, uh, for high school. Uh, and from there, I went to Brown University for undergrad. I thought I was going to actually be a doctor. I was really good at okay. maths and sciences, and mm -hmm. that's where I applied. Um, but I, I just got a taste of sort of political theory mm -hmm. uh, and philosophy, and I just went that way. And mm -hmm. after some time, I decided I would apply to law school. Um, I wanted to do civil rights work. Okay. Uh, and, and sort of help in that regard. Uh, and when I was in law school, I decided I would also get a master's. So I spent a couple years at Stanford for law school. I right. took a year off to go do my master's at the University of Pennsylvania in Philadelphia uh, in public policy, and then went back and finished my, my law degree and then went to work from there. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you guys. That is really cool to hear how like your beginning kind of transferred into what you guys do now. That's awesome. Um, now I have two questions that's actually just for um, each of you. So starting with John, um, I saw in your bio that you have authored two articles surrounding the subject of social justice. Mm -hmm. So the articles I'm referring to are The Improbable Victory of Marriage Equality and The Equal Rights Amendments Revival, Questions for Congress, the Courts, and the American People. So when I saw that, I was curious and I just wanted to ask, um, what is a social justice topic that you feel particularly passionate about today? And what are you um, actively doing to raise awareness or help um, in that particular area? Um, I, that's a good question. So uh, I think the um, I think the two social justice issues you raised, which is the rights for LGBTQ people and mm -hmm. rights for women, yeah. are very much at play. And there's mm -hmm. a sense sometimes, you know, and I, I I mean I'm gay and I you know 
came of age at a time when it was you know scary to mm -hmm. come out and, and people you know didn't and and or it's just, but slowly did we lived mm -hmm. through a, a health crisis where you know you know thousands of people like me died all around me yeah. you know we fought and won these improbable victories mm -hmm. uh, and there's a sense sometimes that now we can move on to the next challenge but mm -hmm. in fact those you know you have to defend the ground that's gained yeah and so uh, you know, when, I, when I talk to younger people it's you know it's um, you know number one yes we should be focusing on the cutting-edge issues and I think mm -hmm. for right now it is gender expression mm -hmm. and and uh, uh, you know I think trans transgender people in particular I mean there that's that's the latest um, uh, wedge issue du jour that, that you know gets people afraid and mm -hmm. frightened and you know these are people who are dehumanized and used mm -hmm. as political pawns and I think that so I think uh, being bold champions for them is really mm -hmm. important but I, I urge people not to forget that you know not to at least listen to what people are saying you know the mm -hmm. right now there are politicians who are saying that if you believe that um, that in a school that a, a child with two mothers like that that's okay and should be acknowledged mm -hmm. is grooming people for you know pedophilia essentially mm -hmm. I mean that, that you have to recognize that we have to defend the whole front and not just be kind of focusing on like every, every generation kind of wants its new issue and that's great because that's mm -hmm. how social change happens yeah. but to kind of look more broadly and I will say women's rights I mean you know what we what we make the case for is mm -hmm. We shouldn't accept the fact that the Constitution doesn't guarantee gender equality, that yeah. women are not mentioned in the Constitution. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it would be great if we started over with the Equal Rights Amendment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that there's a, it has huge public support. There are definitely people who oppose it, but dare them to oppose it mm -hmm. and, and make them pay if they oppose it. You know, take it to the voters. Get, yeah. Win state legislators who will ratify this amendment. So I, I would say those are really the two big issues for me right mm -hmm. now that I spent m most of my time thinking about. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, so moving on to Wilfred, um, so you've actually already kind of talked about this a little bit, but um, I saw in your bio that you are a first-generation college and graduate student, which is a great accomplishment. So how do you feel like your experience <coughs> being a first-generation student has impacted your journey through college, graduate school, and now being a professor and scholar? Yeah, it's impacted me all the time. And, and one thing is I just don't take anything, any of the success that I've seen uh, and experienced for granted. And so it makes me, one, um, I'm, I'm humbled every time yeah. I do an experience. I'm humbled to have this conversation with you yeah. here. You know, I have many people in my family who haven't even traveled this far and I'm yeah. not that far from home, you know. Um, so it's humbling. I, um, I also see it as creating a duty, um, a duty for me to help others who are in uh, similar situations. Mm -hmm. And it might not be first generation, it might just be something else that makes you a non-traditional person in the space that you sort of move around mm -hmm. in. Um, and so I, I think it's helped, uh, one, because I think I, I'm, I'm a better mentor for a lot of students, my students, yeah. other students I work with and interns. Uh, I think it's helped people who had privileges all their life, so mm -hmm. they can see, like, look, this is yeah. this is both doable, but also becoming more difficult to become doable. Yeah. Um, and and throughout my life, I, I I again have to be really thankful for the people who are around there to help support me to get mm -hmm. to where I am today. And and it's just like a, it's a loop. I I need to continue to be thankful, and I need to express that thanks by giving back and be a better person. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. And that is very true and very great. 
Um, so I have two more questions for you both. Um, so second to last, um, in your current job or career, who is someone, um, maybe a colleague or a boss or a student or just anyone who you've learned something from or who inspires you? <clears throat> so I'm going to give, give a shout out to a colleague who recently left the Brennan Center but it still hasn't gone very far and uh, her name is Jennifer Weiss-Wolf. Uh, she, uh, she actually was already at the Brennan Center when I got there 11 years ago working mm -hmm. in our development department and she okay. you know, uh, was very good in that role and mm -hmm. you know, at, in time became the vice president in charge of development and that is a grueling day job and like, mm -hmm. that's, that is plenty for anyone to do. Mm -hmm. But she also just had a passion for other issues and so she and, and she has this vision. So she saw an issue that people weren't focusing on, which was mm -hmm. uh, equity around menstruation. Okay. And, and you know, public policy not taking into account the reality of, of menstruation mm -hmm. and, and has ramifications for students, for mm -hmm. prisoners, for workers. And mm -hmm. so she wrote a book on it and carved out you know, a space to be this you know, uh, you know, uh, public intellectual on women's issues. Mm -hmm. And so no, number one, I mean, I, I was inspired by her writing that book, mm -hmm. which made me think, well, like, it's doable, you know, because yeah. I also have a grueling day job. And so it just, and, yeah. and so it wasn't just her, her model and inspiration, but it's mm -hmm. also that she was just like my biggest fan, and mm -hmm. I mean, our biggest fan, but really yeah. supportive. I mean, just really kind of pumping us up at times. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me tell you, when you write a book, there, there are periods where you're just, you know, you're dragging, you know, you're overwhelmed yeah. You think, how am I going to get to this next deadline? Yeah. And so she, you know, she was really wonderful in that. And now, now she's moved over to a new, a different center at NYU called the Birnbaum Center, is that right? Um, working on women's uh, rights issues. So yeah. she's, she's going to build that and do awesome. something great, but, and we're going to continue to be wonderful colleagues. But uh, so... She's, yeah. she, she has inspired me quite a bit. That's awesome. That's always good to have someone that's just, you know, is on your side and encouraging you through a process. That's great. Thanks and for sharing. And let me just add, just say about Jen, she sat next to me when I was full-time at the Brendan Center yeah. in the office next to mine. And she had this big window with an American flag from a different building in the back. Yeah. And I would just say, oh, you're like Wonder Woman when she yeah. would stand up and you see this flag <laughs> waving in the back of the window. Yeah, I love just great. Jen, Jen is fantastic. Yeah, that's um, great. And if, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll divide my allegiance. Yeah, so I'll please. say um, somebody that I'm sure John will echo, uh, who also left the Brennan Center, Alex Cohen. Um, he was a researcher who helped okay. keep trains sort of <clears throat> running for us uh -huh. during our project. He was immaculately organized and super smart. He's in a PhD program right now in California. Right. And he, I, I just, you know, I, I really look forward to him because he was, he had that sort of similarity where he's just, he's younger than me, that I'm a okay. young professor. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, and so, you know, we just could geek out in these situations yeah. as we wrote the book. And he was really good during COVID, too, when we kind of all had to work alone. And for okay. somebody who's that young to be able to yeah. do that was great. Yeah. Um, and then I'll add, um, I'll just say my, 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 my TAs and my RAs. Yeah. Um, right now, I, I, I hire TAs and RAs to help, TAs to help my new students to become mm -hmm. acclimated with yeah. constitutional law, my right. RAs to help me with my current research and scholarship. And, uh, you know, I haven't been at Brooklyn Law School for very long, but they've mm -hmm. all just been tremendous. They've, they, they're so dedicated, they're so smart, mm -hmm. they um, take their time, uh, they're fun to learn from, they're fun to yeah. teach. Um, and so I, I, I'm in the process of hiring new TAs and RAs because yeah. the other ones are going to be graduating. Mm -hmm. But um, every, every year they've surprised me and astounded me 
and made me very happy I made the decision I had. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you guys both for sharing that. That was awesome. Um, so this is my last question. I'm asking everyone that we have on this podcast this question. So if you were to give advice to somebody wanting to go into a similar profession as you, what advice would you give them? Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I do talk to a lot of um, uh, younger people. You know, they, I mean, I have a network of people who send people to me, and I always find time yeah. to talk to them because I think one of the best things you can do is to not be shy about talking to people in a field, to mm-hmm. reach out to them, to first of all, to use every connection you have. And, and look, I, I, you know, I think Wilfred and I both grew up without any connections, and, mm-hmm. uh, and I, I have to say I was for many years reluctant. You know, like, you know, I was shy. Mm-hmm. I just felt people would feel burdened or bothered. And what I never saw as a young man that I see now so clearly is, I mean, there is hardly anyone who has succeeded in a field who wouldn't be flattered Mm-hmm. and delighted to talk to somebody who uh, is interested in that. Yeah. So just to, you know, write, you know, I mean, some, I mean, there may be some people who are busy or don't see your email, but to just write a polite note and just mm-hmm. say, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about how, you know, you got into that field. Yeah. You'd be surprised how receptive people would mm-hmm. be to, to sharing that. And sometimes that leads to doors opening because someone thinks of you. Well, I need someone yeah. to help with this project, you know. And so it's... um. That's my advice. Yeah, that's great advice. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and, I, and, and sort of in that regard, I mean, you should be shameless. Also be patient. Realize that people are very busy too, but they'd love mm-hmm. to help you if they can. Yeah. Um, but I'd say, I, I'd add another thing, which is to say, don't be afraid to take chances, uh, even if your circumstances make you afraid to take chances. Mm-hmm. And I, I, from personal experience, I graduated uh, from law school uh, during the economic <clears throat> recession. Mm-hmm. So I was really afraid. I got an offer to go to law firm, but then they kind of changed it up for a little bit. So they gave you an outside placement. And then they said, hey, come back. We want you now. And I yeah. said, well, I'm going to take this job. And I'm going to go work on the Hill as a counsel to a member. Mm-hmm. And from there, I, I didn't know. I saw student loans. I was mm-hmm. much far lower pay than I would have received at the law firm. Yeah. Um, but from there, I went and I clerked for a federal judge in New York. So did that for two years. Didn't know I was going to do afterwards. Start yeah. talking to people and figuring things out. I eventually did go to law firm for a few years mm-hmm. um, and, and then to the Brandon Center and to teaching now. So uh, don't be afraid to take chances and know that any path to something is not linear necessarily. Yeah. And so I didn't know where I would be right now by taking all these sort of different um, different opportunities, but um, it, I, I'm very gratified and, and thankful for them because I, I, I love what I do and I've loved every job I've had and not many oh, people can say that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was just going to say that is something kind of rare I feel like these days. So that's awesome. Thank you guys so much for um, sharing that advice and also just um, being willing to be on this podcast and share. Um, this is only the second episode and this is the first time having two guests. So I was very honored to have you guys um, and thank you so much for coming to Grand Rapids and are you guys excited for tonight for our event? Very much so. Do you so guys excited. ever get nervous for speaking events, or is it more like exciting? Absolutely, I get nervous before speaking <laughs> events. But, Definitely uh, both. Yeah, no, yeah, you know. But I was, wa- you know, uh, I was watching a re- repeat of the Carol Burnett show, and someone asked her, "Do you get nervous?" And she says, "No," and then fainted on the floor. Of the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, the, the truth is, it's perfectly normal to be a little bit nervous. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's sort of nice to have a couple of warm ups. We did a radio interview, and uh, yep. and and, the, and you've made this such an easy experience, and yeah. it's been really fun uh, chatting with you. Oh, yeah, well, so great. we're so thankful yeah. for having us, and it's great to sort of reach out to the students. And yeah. Hopefully, this this your podcast does successfully. Yeah. And, and, and makes a mark. Well, thank you guys so much for being on.
Thank you for listening to Off the Stage Podcast, a series produced by the Hauenstein Center for Presidential Studies at Grand Valley State University. The Hauenstein Center, inspired by Ralph Hauenstein's life of leadership and service, is dedicated to raising a community of ethical, effective leaders for the 21st century. For more information on our center, our Cook Leadership Academy, or our Common Ground Initiative, visit our website at www.gvsu.edu. To keep up with our current events and reoccurring initiatives, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, or LinkedIn, all of which can be found linked below. If you liked this episode, consider giving us a review or rating so we can be found by other podcast listeners. Again, thanks for listening to Off the Stage Podcast.